The following podcast has been made possible by the generous members of our Patreons. So if you like our podcast, you want to join in and contribute and find mountains of other content while you're there, join in at patreon.com forward slash Ian Boltsworth and patreon.com forward slash burials and beyond. Thank you. Okay, are you ready to start it today? I am. I'm prepped, poised. Like you were meant to last time. Like I said when we were recording. Yeah. Oh, but what's this? What's this? Oh, it's it's the starting pistol. And welcome to Loopholes, episode eleven, your weekly discussion podcast of all things esoteric and esoterotic. I'm Dr. Kate Cheryl. Hello. And I'm Ian Bullsworth, who did say during the last recording, I said, I'm sure that I started it last week. Oh. And Kate went, no, you didn't, no. Because we take it in turns starting it. So what Kate has done is she's interrupted the symmetry of this podcast. Oh, excuse me. I'm trying <laughs> to be fault. kind and benevolent and measure things up yeah. nicely. How have you been this week? Is your television star continuing to rise? A few people in the comments were talking about watching your programme. Yes, yeah, we know I've been dodging autograph hunters, you know, it's pretty tough. Vogue just will not stop calling. Any big meetings for future stuff? Uh, Don't jinx things like that. (laughs) How dare you? You know how terrified I am. (laughs) Should we do the comments? Let's do the comments straight off the bat. Because we've been getting things all topsy-turvy, haven't we? Yes. So I'll tell you, actually, about some things that people said about your telly show in the comments. No one's critical at all. Of course, that's always ominous. Annette Truby said, congratulations to Kate on the TV show. And thank you both for this podcast. So see what I mean, really? It's it's more about you, really, isn't it, than me? Both is better, (laughs) isn't it, really? Rather than you just soaring off doing all your telly meetings with all the things I've taught you. (laughs) (laughs) Dan Norton said, watch the first two episodes of Kate's show the other night. By the way, Dan Norton said that when only one episode was available. I don't know what time it comes out on Discovery Plus, but they're all available now anyway. Maybe it's out in America or something earlier. It is a global release, isn't it, this one? It is. uh... It is. I'm all over the place like a rash. Dan went on to say, I did find it entertaining, even though I'm not normally interested in that kind of show. Same, Dan. My wife made me sit through an episode of Ghost Adventures once and I was getting genuinely angry by the end of it. (laughs) He said he also has some ghost hunting equipment as he has uh, £400 teddy bears in his house and they don't have any special features though, they're just really big. Um, I don't really want to talk about teddy bears today, thank you. Look, Ian. When your third episode dropped, what do I see? I'm sorry. A boo bear. (laughs) You know. A boo bear. I, I I respect you deeply. I I treasure you, but I can't I can't control the boobie. <laughs> it was well, just there. <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel? I mean, I know this sort of already, but how did you feel on set, as it were, in that yeah. program? As someone who'd had many discussions with me about the boobie yes. that was used in the movie that I directed, yeah. how did you feel when that was uh, unveiled to you? What um, were your feelings? I, I think I think the technical term yeah. is sod's law yeah that of all equipment that they could have whacked out on that table they really i recall focused. a text i do recall a text yeah. at the time. <laughs> and i recall that i was very accepting and said hey you know it's a very credible piece of equipment I said to you. <laughs> yeah exactly what happened don't you worry about a thing yeah and then interestingly when i saw the footage back i saw that it said exactly the same things in exactly the same yeah. order that the one that I was forced to use did as well. I think they must have just a very limited script. But how can they? If they're a conduit for the spirit world, how can they have a limited script? <laughs> well, I, I think the Boo Bears are interesting when you put them there as trigger objects. Yeah. Or, or if they've got like additional things like REM pods or footstep trackers in them. But if anyone has had a conversation with one, or if it ever went off script and started talking about demons, I, I'd be very interested to hear. You know when you sing Celebrity Sounds Corner in this podcast? Mm. I might do an new section where I sing Kate's contractually obliged statement <laughs> <laughs> Mark Lee said that he watched the documentary Scream the True Story about Danny Rowling the serial killer who inspired yes. the Scream movies which I by the way debate mm. that 
think same. That's a, a retrospective link that's been made. I don't. Yeah. Ha- there's no comparison at all to the vile things that Danny Rowling did and the Scream movies, other than it was somebody murdering people in a house. That's it. Yeah, it was on a college campus. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was a so campus murders, yeah. I don't really buy that. I've not checked to see if Wes Craven was drawing directly from that. I, I, it, it just seems like a very tenuous link to me. But the reason I lumped this in with the comments about your programme is because I know that Screen the True Story is also on Discovery Plus, which is yes. where your programme's at. Yeah. Mark said, there's something I want to sort of highlight in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he said there's a scene where the documentary people go to a place where uh, the killer would hang out and use a spirit box to communicate with him. I genuinely could not believe what I was yeah. watching. Genuinely appalling. Absolutely agreed with that. I felt like it was something Kate would explain to you only for you to tear it down. That's what he said. I've seen some of that programme. I've seen a little bit of it. Have you seen any of it already? Yeah, about half. Uh, do you know what? That's roughly probably... Well, actually, I'll tell you the truth. I got as far as the bit that Mark is actually talking about and yeah. was like just utterly appalled. But I would presume that you would have ethical questions about that too i don't mean to put words into your mouth but given Mm. the discussions we've had on here already i would presume that would be something that someone like yourself who is rather concerned about the ethics of these hobbies Mm. that's something that's like a bit unsavory right well i I think i'd always have a a greater concern really for the impact things would have on on the family left behind yeah yeah, yeah, you know and I, i certainly wouldn't bring anything like that to you was kind of an, an offering of legitimate paranormal No, practice. no, I, well, I, I know that. That's why I wanted to sort of highlight yeah. that. I mean, this is something that I guess because of my incarnations as someone, as a debunker or what have you, or mm. as someone that slams down arguments and things, I guess there might be a underlying a, assumption, really. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure Mark didn't mean anything by it in that respect, but... But there might be an underlying assumption that it's a battle, and I think we, you know, we've tried to dismiss that quite early doors. Yeah. I think we said it in the first episode that it's not. We're not having an argument about no, stuff. No, and not at all. From time to time, you know, I will be fighty, yeah. <laughs> but it's not that kind of setup here. Now, I, I didn't think it'd be something that you'd be personally into yourself. No, I. Do you know what? I've got ultra sensitive to that. In recent years, I think I've always been a bit sensitive to it, mm-hmm. but there were some things in recent years, like kind of biopics or things that uh, are based on true events that are yeah. in my own personal living history. And there's some that directly affected me as well, like the Warrington bombing. There was a drama made mm-hmm. about the Warrington bombing, and that was kind of up close and personal for me. You know, I knew people involved and people that sadly lost their lives in that, and it was, uh, you know, a very traumatic time. In yeah. my life, much more traumatic, by the way, for like my brother and what have you, who was very good friends with one of the lads who was killed, and uh, and and that whole time, it, it sort of brought back my panic because I was at university at the time. Mm. I panicked and I couldn't get hold of my brother on the phone, and then I eventually did, and he was fine. But then found out it was his best friend that had been killed, yeah. and my brother had meant to be there. Anyway, yada yada yada. But when that drama came out, written by the way by the brother of somebody I used to go to school with. Uh, it, it just did. It, it just set off all manner of things in me, and I couldn't quite. I didn't speak to my brother about it, but I, I don't know what his reaction would have been. But yeah. from that kind of very peripheral perspective, when you see things like, well, there was one recently, wasn't there? There was the Maxine Carr thing with its yeah. dramatic theme music that went Maxine. <laughs> like uh, that again, you sort of look at that and think. It's a bit raw, in it? It's like, you yeah. know, there are people who are, I, I guess, either only just coming to terms with it or, or have never come to terms with it. And suddenly mm. it's brought out as quote-unquote entertainment. I, I feel a bit odd about yeah. it. I also knew a guy who, a member of his family had been killed in quite a high-profile murder. And I had lots of chats with mm. him about that. That it was something that... He got regular phone calls and he got regular uh, notifications that something was being made, either, you know, some crappy true crime thing on some buried away digital channel or what have Mm -hmm. you. But his family were contacted regularly and it was a a source of great discomfort for him. It really did upset him a lot. And... I think, uh, again, the, the what Mark's talking about with Scream, the true story, it feels even worse to me because of the, the aforementioned tenuous link. It makes sense that they would go with that angle. This, again, just hear me out on this, because there's this yeah. huge true crime obsession at the minute that kind of lives on this 
divide between reality and entertainment. So many groups, so many, you know, enormous series and podcasts and, and whatever, they, they thrive on dramatising real loss and real death. And I think when we mm. get caught up in the narrative of it, it's so easy for any of us to, to take that apart from the lived experience. And I think that's what's happened with the Scream thing and with the Merck scene series and all of those. It's yeah. It's we want the drama, but we forget that we're dealing with not just a, a real person who lost their life, but also the, like you say, the trauma that this will be kicking up in the lives of so many people. The series that we enjoy, we make memes about online and then we carry on with our lives, whereas those things still affect people. And I, I think a lot of us would do good to tread a little lighter around those sort of things. I mean, I'm certainly not faultless in this. I'm still learning, but... I think it's something to be acknowledged, definitely. But I think there's some. I think it is that tenuous link yeah. that almost feels like a further kick. Yeah, that they're removing the personhood and they're just whacking a Hollywood film on it. I don't know, tacky for me personally, but yeah. But also, it's like then you're seeing online that countless teenage girls are going, "Oh, I really fancy the guy that plays Freddy in that Freddy Killing documentary. I'm going to get Freddy T-shirts." Yeah, that seems to be gaining a lot of traction at the minute, and I haven't quite figured out how I feel about that but I definitely feel there's this divide between reality and fantasy that we're splitting a lot and we're losing a lot when it comes to death and and true crime now on the subject of that Mm -hmm. sort of yes I've made a decision about today's show okay which I'm yet to run past you but I'm just telling you this is what we're doing okay right I'm editing it so I'll just make this happen (laughs) I was thinking about Celebrity Sounds Corner and I was thinking about the tremendously interesting life story of Billy Chutney that we endured in the last episode. And I think in conjunction, I chatted with the King about it and the King was saying, just just let him tell you, I could just let him say what he said. You know, I'm up in heaven and I'm kind of lonely and I'm meeting a lot of these psychic people. I don't have any friends up here. What about me, King? I don't have any friends up here. (laughs) Have any note? (laughs) Oh, come on, King. I'm your best friend. Simply, please, I'm speaking to the ladies and gentlemen. I can't be best friend with somebody who has used cultural appropriation in such a brazen way. (laughs) I wasn't to know it was the 80s. I accept that simply. (laughs) But I've been speaking to a lot of psychics, and I'm speaking to a lot of psychics who've now sadly passed on. And I thought that maybe for Celebrity Sound this week, we could hear about some other psychics, rather than contacting celebrities from beyond the grave. That's what King said to me. Okay, okay. And, and what I thought, this is how it ties in, and I will come back to this if and when we do this section, I thought we could start at the beginning with psychics, and, and so celebrity psychics, I guess. Right. And the beginning of celebrity psychics was Dr. Kate. In modern spiritualism. Yeah. Uh, I suppose we could go for the Fox sisters. The Fox sisters. The kind of so, the obvious big hitters. Yeah, so I want to link back to that. In regards to kind of young... Because they were teenage girls, right? Uh, well, when it started, one was a teenager and one was 11. So I want to link back to that with something... I'm going to be careful how I word it because I don't want it to sound like I'm making a judgment call because I'm really not. So yeah. I'd like to discuss that. But I think that also ties into the celebritification yeah. of <laughs> serial killers and that sort of thing. Yeah, And it's okay. a question I want to pose to you. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Let me get back to these comments because otherwise we'll have no time for nothing. So we had lovely comments from Fraser, Craig Harrison, as always, and at Truby, as always, Patrick Coughlin. Stephen Harper said that he also worked in electronic engineering, and he used to work in mobile phones, but he now works in the automotive stuff. And if he dies, he'll haunt all the Ghost Hunters kit, but only when no one else is recording. And he also did a, just did an advert for himself, said, I will also, for a small fee payable up front, make your car go dead fast. <laughs> Johnny chipped in, because we know Johnny is our resident stirrer. Yeah. Yeah. And Janet right, in and said, I'm going to cause muscle spasms using my lecky to fake Ouija movements when I'm dead. <laughs> a bit more weighty. Shane said, mm. thinking about the kit discussion at the end put me in mind of the wider ghost business. There's a concept re-religion of the God of the gaps, mm-hmm. where as science advances, God recedes, i.e. God made us, actually we evolved, God created the first bit then. Mm-hmm. It feels like ghosts exist in these same decreasing spaces that perhaps drive people to seek even more advanced gear. Also, I've heard esoterotic so many times I've forgotten the original word, <laughs> if there was one. Loving the podcast. Thank you, Shane. 
What do you think on that? I, I, I've thought that for a long time, mm-hmm. that this is something that's been around so long now, yeah. this idea of ghosts and ghouls and what have you, that as technology has way exceeded and mm-hmm. and understanding cultural understanding and knowledge of biology even on even on that basic level yeah as yeah. that's advanced and people have got a bit less superstitious would that be fair to say yeah maybe less superstitious but i'd say increasingly spiritual but not necessarily in a established religious way yeah okay but, but I, I guess putting less weight in superstition so for mm. example for all of my skepticism for all of mine, this is nonsense. All, all of that sort of thing. I, from time to time, salute a magpie. Yeah. Just from time to time, I do do it. I don't put any weight in that. I don't believe in any of that on any level. Yet for some reason, normally when I'm driving, mm-hmm. I'll see a magpie on its own and we'll salute it. Yeah. <laughs> weird. Yeah. For someone of my ilk. Like, weird. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been in the car together before when I've had full conversations with magpies. I mean, that's just stupid, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to cover all bases. What do you think then? What do you reckon to that as an idea that, that it's receding? So so technology is being utilised, I guess. Yeah, I suppose so. the modern day gaps. thing to do, yeah. 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 If I've understood that correctly. I suppose so. Well, I suppose each generation, especially really since the Industrial Revolution, yeah. has tried to narrow the gap between God and man. I mean, that was kind of the whole draw of spiritualism. And then along know. came me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like God and all his angels, you know, were, were suddenly in reaching distance because it seemed like, you know, that, that was happening in the 19th century. It was the blessed century. And yeah. so I suppose that's when we get kind of this this weird dichotomy of superstition and spirituality and science trying to find how they fit in and i suppose yeah we are still doing that to an extent but certainly the spiritualist movement key people in that would see growing interest in ghosts and ghoulies and the afterlife as just further proof of the promises of the the new testament you know plenty of mediums would go out professing that you know they'd communicated with christ that christ was the first medium seances further validated the resurrection you know so it's not so much i feel like we've been looking at the gaps and trying to fill them with god i think we've just been trying to put god and growing ghosty beliefs in a bit of a blender i'm a bit more cynical than that really you won't really? be surprised to hear i yeah i feel like it's a it's a tacit understanding that the two things can't coexist so they can't mm-hmm. technology can't mix with the spiritual it's in, impossible it's at its base level it's a complete contradiction that mm-hmm. so i believe is it's a forced melding how would you define technology then in, in that in that context? I guess the understanding of uh, that things are measurable. So it's like scientific thought in general. I'm not well, saying okay. that a ghost hunting counts as scientific thought. No, okay, well, here we go. So putting it into its purest form, putting mm-hmm. it into its easy-to-understand base level, right? Mm-hmm. There's a machine you can get that you fire at your wall which tells you where there are wires. Yeah. That machine will bleep when it registers a wire... And you know not to bang your nail in there, right? It's a measurable thing Mm -hmm. and a quantifiable thing. So if you can meld that and go, and also it will bleep if there is a ghost, which has happened. That that has just happened in ghost hunting. But that that builds from the belief that, the belief of trying to quantify ghosts in itself. You know, I, I, I don't doubt that people go around saying this device will notify you if a ghost is in your, you know, the vicinity. Yeah. But also I think there's a lot to be said for schools of thought that will then go on and say, we believe that energy can only be, you know, created, it can't be destroyed. It's that you know, so yeah. therefore yeah. ghosts, spirit energy is measurable in the form of like electromagnetic frequencies. And this will measure EMF. I've far more time for that sort of argument than someone saying, you know, here's a device I've I've created, it will tell you if there is a ghost. It's, you know, the ghostometer. But the assertion that energy cannot be destroyed is scientifically backed up. Mm. But I, I also think it's reappropriated for this argument. So we, what you have to, again, this is layman's terms because that's all I can give. If you have to say that humans have that energy, mm-hmm. but then we also have to accept that dogs have that energy, that cats yeah. have that energy, that birds in the sky have that energy, that there are, I'm sure, a billion plus, many, many more mm-hmm 
now dead things yeah. that had energy and yeah. that energy can't be destroyed so that energy surrounds us all the time it has to by the scientific assertion that energy can't be destroyed yeah. okay i'll accept all of that mm-hmm. in that case if you have a little gun that's actually for seeing if there's wires in your wall if you mm-hmm. fire that anywhere <laughs> then mm-hmm. it's going to register anywhere at all and i think the adding on to that of and it is old Mary that used to live here and she haunts these halls. I'm not saying that it can't pick up somewhere. We know that there's electric waves all, all over the place anyway because of yeah. technology full stop. They're everywhere. So it's the application of, of a bit of kit that's meant to yeah. stop you from electrocuting, electrocuting yourself when yeah. you're putting a frame in. It's the hijacking of that. Hijacking's a strong word. I, I truly believe that. It'd be like your carbon monoxide alarm going off. Mm. And then some Bert turning up and saying, yeah, ghosts give off a lot of carbon monoxide. That'll be what that is. <laughs> you know, it, it's a bit of kit that was for something else that's been hijacked. <laughs> well, I, I know this is so the most So people simplistic. can pretend to be Ghostbusters. I've got no issue with it. But let's call ghost hunting what it is. It's cosplaying. I've got no issue with it, <laughs> but it is cosplaying. People can be cosplayers. It's brilliant, okay. it's creative, all them things. But the second that somebody dresses up as a character from Mortal Kombat and then tries to convince me that they are the actual one, then I'm going to kick off. <laughs> but if, I think if you see ghost hunting as people trying to measure things, yeah, just it, distill it right down to people trying to measure things and conducting their own experiments based on their own spiritual experiences and their own spiritual understandings. Yeah. You know, then it's not cosplaying. It's it's just another way of getting to grips with the world and getting to grips with the realities of mortality and the questions of the immortality of the human soul. I've never dressed up as a Ghostbuster. Not yet, but you know, right. I wouldn't rule it out. Well, this time yet. Yeah. Let's, let's see what happens at your meetings. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get back to these comments? Because we're halfway through the episode here. Are you starting? Jamie Wallace... Another brilliant episode. I've just listened to a few of the Billy Chutney recordings that were mentioned, and they are equal parts hilarious and eerie, although that's probably far more down to the atmosphere the old recordings make than anything mm. else. I love a bit of crackle, me. Oh, yeah. Love it. Old record, on my portable record player, crackly, crackly, crackly. Love it. I could often be found in my garden listening to a vintage Snow White vinyl that I have. Mm. Not even vinyl, I don't know what it's made of, brick or something. <laughs> Drake and 64 great episode guys I've always enjoyed writing short stories about ghost hunting was curious about the general opinion in the esoteric community about fictional ghost stories do people enjoy them or do they only like to read real accounts I've been thinking about this a lot of late because I have been writing ghost stories mm. and yet I am known as someone who holds no stock and I'm actively disliked by people I'd, I'd definitely say there's there's more people that enjoy ghost stories than enjoy ghost hunting you know I don't, I, I wouldn't say that a lot of ghosty, bothery people that I've met are kind of big into reading ghost stories at all, really. You are, though. Or you, well, you pretend to be. You pretend you're into the old ghost stories and things. And bloody PhD in it! Every now and again, I, if I visit your house, I just take, I just take them. You really do? <laughs> the books that you pretend you like. I go, nah. Yeah. You're just pretending to like R. Chetwin Hayes. I'm going to just take this. <laughs> You genuinely did last time you were here, didn't you? Like, yeah, that. you don't like that. Like, All right, then. I'm a huge fan of R. Chetwin Hayes, and yeah. I, I thought it was completely unjust that you had a book that I couldn't get, just on your shelf gathering dust. So I just took it. <laughs> uh, Jeff D. Oftentimes, ghost hunting kit comes down to I got this device, I don't fully understand, broke it a bit, and use it in a way in which it was never intended to be used. Now, the spooky thing is, it doesn't always work right. Je- yeah, Jeff D. just completely agrees with me. Andy Walker, could you go through known ghost hoaxes and explain how they were debunked, as in what techniques or technology? Has anything been disproved decades later? I think we could do an episode about that, by the way. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, I think that's something that we're both really, really interested in. I mean, you are as interested in stuff being nonsense as you are in stuff being real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if someone says, here's an unexplained ghost story, it's like, okay, that's interesting, let's have a look. Someone's like, oh, you know, here's a ghost story, and it was proven to be malicious fraud I'm, yeah. I'm in there i want to know all about it well on a recent uh, loopholes extra that we did which are patreon exclusives mm. we discussed the crystal skull and i know that it was you that found out what the debunking idea beneath the crystal skull yeah. was and i'm pretty confident i don't know this for a fact but i'm pretty confident that you would have been more pleased with finding that out 
than you would have been with it being unexplained. Yeah, I really was. And it, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why either. It doesn't really match up with my belief system, but no, I, get I it, love cause it. it. Then, then it, the things that you do believe carry more weight, I guess. Yeah. You know, In terms of authenticity on a personal level, I guess. Mm. Do you have any comments, by the way? Uh, oh, yes. Thank you for asking. Okay, so we have some lovely comments over on patreon.com forward slash barrels and beyond. Thank you. Uh, from Stephen Harper, who asked, is there any chance of a loopholes extra of Mickey interviewing Elvis? <laughs> Loved the episode as per... Now, Mickey was the spirit familiar, the tiny cockney spirit familiar of Leslie Flint. That's right. And, That's okay. you, and you did that voice. Yeah. 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 Okay, you can do it now. Just Mickey can speak to Elvis now. All right, King. Simply stop doing that voice. Who's Simply? Are you going anywhere nice on holiday? Simply, I know it's you. Please stop it. Please don't call me Simply. I find his work quite derivative. (laughs) I mean, I like stars, but I find the rest a bit dull. There you go, Stephen. There you go. Glad to oblige. (laughs) What other comments have you got? Sophie Cleverly, the cleverest of all the Sophies. May I ask a question? You might not even know this. Mm -hmm. Is Sophie Cleverly the author? Yes. Is it the actual? Is it actually her? Yes, it is. Oh, I'm quite impressed. She wrote the Scarlet and Ivy series. Yeah, kids books, aren't they? Yeah, the YA books. Well, they're they're two. They're two. Well, I've I've read several of her books. Like yeah, spooky YA kids books. They're fantastic. So it's actually her. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. So that's a recommendation. She's a big sceptic who also loves the idea of spooky stuff. A curiosity I have is, if a ghost is the continuing soul of a person, would the energy be any different to what a living person gives off? Like, why is it thought that ghosts can make the air cold? I don't possess the ability to make the air cold or to vibrate. Um, Electromagnetic energy makes more sense, I guess. Which I think it's an interesting point. Why do we say ghosts can make the air cold, whereas we don't knowingly possess the power to change temperature? Okay, well, let me explain it to you. (laughs) And to you, Sophie, as well. I think I know why. It's because there's a bit of kit called a thermometer. And what that does is that measures temperatures. And you can get electric thermometers as well, where you point them, a little laser dot comes out, Mm -hmm. and it will tell you the temperature of something over there. If you can hijack that piece of kit point it at something that is already cold or cold, a room that's already cold and say that means there's a ghost there then you can carry on pretending you're out of Ghostbusters. Thanks. That's, so. That's um, why. That's why, Sophie. <laughs> I believe I may have established it in Act 1. Nope. Uh, Jacqueline Davis says, Another cracking episode. There was singing. We finally heard about Billy Chutney slash Leslie Flint and the king was back in the building. It's a 10 for the 10. Yeah. So thank you for these podcasts, thoroughly enjoying them. And you're both brilliant. So I wanted to keep on that both brilliant thing because I think we both need that little pep. Even you. Even Ian, who is dismantling this by the second. (laughs) Welcome to Lopel's episode 11. I think we need to make a decision on these, you know, because I think, I know they're long form already, I think we need to be open to the idea of making them longer form. Yeah. Because I don't like the idea of chopping the comment sections down. It's It may, in fact, be my favourite part of this. It's good discussions, isn't it? Yeah, um, and it promotes good discussions on our end too. Yeah. And I think there's an interesting, ongoing, symbiotic discussion happening between ourselves and the listeners who have very, very different mm. beliefs themselves. Yeah. And I think that's quite a, a a nice thing to platform, if you like. So I don't really want to make the comment section an afterthought. That's why I always like to do it at the beginning. And likewise, I don't want to cut it shorter. But the more comments we're getting, the harder it is to keep it into a controlled, bite-sized chunk. So I feel like there should be a relinquishing on our part of trying to make it a controlled, bite-sized chunk. Yeah, okay. I was on a long drive today and I was listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, May Rest in Peace. Mm. And I, the episode that I put up was an hour and 35 minutes and I was sulking because I wanted it to be longer. Yeah. When I, I was like, oh, I want it to be, I really want a really long one. It's a really long drive. Yeah. I really want a long episode. So I know that there are people who like to listen to long form stuff, but I would hate to alienate people by them going, oh, that's too long for me to listen to. Yeah, it's trying to hit that sweet spot. Yeah. But you don't have to listen to it all in one go. But I don't want us to sacrifice discussion because we're trying to make it into a half hour show or what have you because it, we're not trying to do something with this no. this is just 
a thing that exists in and of itself. But I'm making it even longer now. What do you want to talk about today yourself? So this week, I thought we'd chat about the cross-correspondences. I don't know what that is. It's a very infamous series of experiments that took about 30 years where lots of mediums from all over the world supposedly were all contacted by the same person. And once all of their correspondences were collated back at a central hub, it all made sense like a big psychic jigsaw. Okay, well, can I now go back on what I was saying about wanting these episodes to be longer and all the rest of it? It's now no, no longer. No, 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 no backsies. No backsies. That's the end. That's no, the end of no, 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 no. Right no, no. there. I will save you from this. <laughs> not a chance. Oh, well, I'm responding because I'm not familiar with it. I think the best way to introduce the cross correspondences yeah. is to introduce two key players. Okay. And they'll be might be familiar names. We have Arthur Balfour right. and Frederick W. H. Myers. Okay. So Arthur uh, was actually British Prime Minister. From 1902 to 1905. But we're only semi-interested in him. Ten a penny nowadays, aren't they, Prime Minister? (laughs) They really are. (laughs) So, Arthur Balfour fell in love with a woman called Mary Littleton, who was 19 and his cousin. (laughs) After her two previous love matches had died... A brother and a dad. (laughs) (laughs) Arthur thought, I might have a crack at this... Arthur was like, oh, what am I going to do? But sadly, lovely Mary Littleton died of typhus in 1875 before they could sort out an arrangement or a proper relationship between the two of them. Okay. But Arthur put this ring in her coffin and seemed distraught after she died, so there was this rumour about was there an engagement or not. Immediately moved on to his sister. (laughs) But Arthur never married, just seemed to be one of those blokes that was very focused on his career. But... (laughs) Mary is kind of the epitome of unfinished business. So over the next three decades, thousands Mm. of messages via several mediums came through to create this substantial narrative from Mary to Arthur. Mm. So she was still trying to communicate with him beyond the grave. Do you want me to say, when I have my alerts going off in my head... Yeah, go for it. Here's my first thing that I'm pinpointing in this. Okay. If this was somebody that was unknown publicly, mm-hmm. I would put more stock in it. Mm-hmm. But if it's a publicly known story, then they all have a pre-existing knowledge of the situation. Everyone, mm-hmm. psychic or otherwise. Yes. So half their job is done for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's one player. Okay. So I'd say Mary is more of the, the support act in the cross-correspondences, okay. whereas the headliner is Frederick W.H. Myers. Okay. Now, he's quite famous in spooky circles because he was one of the founders of the SPR. Okay. So he was like a poet, classicist, had a very interesting personal life, seemed to be having it off with uh, pretty much everything with a pulse. Player! Absolutely. (laughs) Um, He even joined... I know this isn't spooky, but he even joined his mate on Honeymoon... Even yeah. when his wife was like, no, no, I'm not having any of that. But old Frederick invited himself along. Anyway. Hey, five, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> so Frederick was deep into the SPR. He became president. This is the Society for... For Psychical Research. And he endorsed countless mediums, many that were then proven to be fakes. All of them. He co-authored some massive spiritualist books like Phantasms of the Living and... His greatest work was actually published after his death. So Myers himself was an agnostic and this wasn't like a a happy lack of faith. He was a materialist and he thought that he could only really trust the tangible things. So not believing in God, being a bit wishy-washy about spiritualist stuff didn't make him happy. So he was desperate to kind of find out, was there anything in the great beyond? And he died in 1901. But his work didn't stop when he died. So his masterwork, which is just massive, it's like over a thousand pages. And it's this this book called Human Personality and its Survival of Bodily Death. Puts forward uh, loads of theories about the unconscious mind and the subconscious mind housing part of the human that causes paranormal activity. But a few years before his death, 
a bit like Houdini, if you remember from a few weeks ago, he wrote a private message down on paper, sealed it, and gave it to a friend of his, Oliver Lodge, who was involved with the SPR. And he was given strict instructions to only open it with witnesses after his death, after they tried to communicate with him. Okay. And only a few weeks after he died, mediums from all over the world were trying automatic writing. So that's when you, if you're a medium, you try and clear your mind and spirits might channel things through you. So you just write and what comes out might be communication from spirits. And these messages that were all signed, Myers, all seemed to relate to messages that Frederick Myers was leaving after death. But none of them seemed to really make much sense on their own. But they were all sent to one central point back in England where they were kind of collated. And so a group of scholars worked really hard to put all these messages together to see if it made any kind of coherent narrative. And it seems that they did. That all of these mediums who had no idea who he was or what was coming through during their automatic writing sessions were producing messages from Myers. And so people argue to this day that it's proof that intelligent spirit forces produced them. And right. in 1904, Oliver Lodge brought the letter to the SPR to compare Meyer's own notes with the cross-correspondences. And like again, this went on long after this. This went on for, for decades. So basically, Oliver Lodge is suspect, isn't he? And they weren't just little messages. They were really, at times, they were 30 pages long, some of this automatic writing. And Henry Sidgwick and Edmund Gurney, who were also members of the SPR who had died, also contributed to the cross-correspondences after death. Okay, let's get something straight here. Big spooky jigsaw puzzle. I don't puzzle. think many people know, okay? <laughs> yes. But let's get it straight. Mm -hmm. Psychics and mediums. Yes. And dinner ladies that pretend they are. Yeah. <laughs> right. All of these people, mm -hmm. and this is a fact, by the way, and mm -hmm. Kate knows full well this is a fact. <laughs> All of these people yeah. talk to each other yeah, secretly okay. all the time. <laughs> there is an enormous database collating what's called your psychic poem, which means that anybody who ever visits a psychic, anybody, whether this be on Blackpool Front or whether this be a high-class psychic working in celebrity circles, whatever it is, they all collate and share your information. It's the equivalent of cookies on a website. That's the modern-day technological equivalent of that. You have a psychic mm -hmm. poem. So I'll break this down, what sometimes happens. So here's, a, here's my clearest way of explaining it to you. You ring up a psychic, right? And you go, mm -hmm. I want to do a reading if that's okay. Well, what's it to do with? I don't want to say that. I don't want to give you any information at all. I would just like to do a reading. And they will say, well, I'm a bit busy at the moment. I've not really got any anything for quite a while, really. However, I can I do do cancellations. So what I can do is I can give you a shout back if I get a cancellation, right? I just take your name and your number, okay? That's, that's the end of that conversation. Then they go away <laughs> and they talk to the other psychics and they find out because if somebody goes rings up a psychic, there is a decent chance that they have spoken to a psychic apparently unconnected before. And they will go and talk to their other psychics in their little clandestine little cult, a bit like the Masons, and they will find out if there's anything. Then they will call you back and say, hey, I've just had a cancellation for Tuesday. I can actually see you on Tuesday. And you will go, oh, brilliant, we'll do that then. By which time they have collated your information. They have got whatever is available about you. If there is nothing available about you, they won't call you back. Is that true? I think fraudulent fraudulent psychics have always worked that way. Even in the yeah. 19th century, there were tangible books, not just online books. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a thing that isn't really publicly known, I suppose. Yes, because, I suppose. It can't be, can it? But, that it? but it is true. Yeah. That happens. They speak to each other, even rivals... They speak yeah. to each other all the time. Now, I'm not saying that every psychic, or every person operating as a psychic or a medium, whatever, is part of that club. I'm sure there are people that just don't even know they can do that and they just go off on their own and just try their hand and occasionally get a bit close and can get away with it and get the £10 and be happy with that. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, this is a hugely advanced 
Yeah. Like, it's a staggeringly large mm-hmm. secret society. Yeah, well, there, there's always been. There's always It's like Honour Among Thieves with fake yeah. psychics. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it, there's a, a book called uh, Behind the Scenes with the Mediums by David yeah. Abbott, who was a, uh, a magician. And he okay. did a lot of debunking at the turn of the century. And he wrote about something called a Blue Book of Boston, yeah, okay. which which held, you know, names, addresses, little little marks corresponding to what people were like, like D.E. meant dead easy, you know, things like yeah. that. Mm. It's, it's astounding yeah. the, how vast it is. Um, so I guess the point I'm making in conjunction to what you're talking about, we'll carry on talking about, mm-hmm. is that there are people... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Within that industry, sharing information. Yeah. And in order for this story to slot into place, it wouldn't be too big a stretch to assume that the person who had the secret note shared (laughs) the secret note. Yeah. On this occasion, Mm. I do not believe that Oliver Lodge shared the note. Okay. And you can get copies of the, the cross correspondences today. I've got a copy on my little bookshelf over there. Yeah. And... The content of them is incredibly vague, completely open to interpretation, and suggests <laughs> incompetence or deliberate fraud. And today okay. is held up as quite a fascinating example of uh, different types of pareidolia. So like, right. you know how you can get, you, you seek order in chaos, generally. So humans look for shapes and flames. We look, for, So we have auditory pareidolia, visual pareidolia, yeah. but also intellectual pareidolia. And that's what a lot of the cross-correspondences by sceptics yeah. have been seen to be just a, an enormous, multi-decade long case of intellectual pareidolia. Well, well do you know what? That, that was my first thought as you mm. were telling the story. I'm, that isn't, I'm not backpedaling because I think the things I said about psychic poems is completely valid. Yeah, yeah. But my first thought as you were telling the story, which I, I guess would be hesitant to have said until you say that, mm-hmm. because I don't know it. I don't yeah. know what's going on. Yeah, so I've noticed you've not I'll tried t- to nick that book from my bookshelf. No, well, it's probably quite wordy. Yeah. But was that idea <laughs> that you can twist anything yes. into meaning what you want it yeah. to mean, which is fundamentally in my opinion, what clairvoyancy is and what psychic mm-hmm. readings are. It's, that's, that's basic cold reading, isn't it? It's, mm. it's extolling statements that can be just, can mean anything. Yeah. Apparently you're very sensitive. You know, we've discussed these things before. Yeah. Basic human emotions that most people, bar psychopaths, would have within them. Yeah. And it's a fair bet because psychopaths are unlikely to take stock in what somebody else tells them. So chances are, if you're speaking to an empathetic human being (laughs) who's basically a good person and you can make the presumption that they are by the fact that they've sought this out, that they've actually agreed it, that presumes that they have some feeling of loss and they want some sort of uh, comfort. The the very process of speaking to a psychic Mm. says a lot about you before a word has been spoken. Yeah, definitely. And also Frederick Myers, if we go back to, to him briefly, he was... He wasn't a stranger. He was a, a public-facing figure for decades yeah. in in the world of esotericism. You know, there, there's plenty that people could have found out about him yeah. just by picking up a, a copy of, you know, the SPR's latest journal. Yeah, well, the same as I said about the pervy prime minister. It's, you know, if it's just known... Well, I, I think I'd, I'd like to um, just maybe, maybe close off the correspondences with a, a beautiful quote I found in Oliver Lodge's sort of rounding up in the, the SPR report of the opening of Myers's note. He said, it has to be reported that this one experiment has completely failed. And yet the cross correspondences are still upheld as this amazing psychic experiment and are still in print today. Do you know what? This is something I was thinking about the other day when we uh-huh. did, again, a, a Loopholes Extra. So basically, Loopholes Extra, Patreon exclusives, and what we do is we look at R.C. Clark's Mysterious World, the TV show from back in the day, and we go through episode by episode and we essentially chat about the episode. There's sound bites from the episodes in there that probably shouldn't be using, but there, there are. And, you know, we kind of rip it apart a little bit, make fun of it a little bit. And speak about things and how attitudes have changed and all the rest of it. It's kind of a nice little offshoot of this podcast. Mm, But, as I mentioned earlier on, there was a discussion about the Crystal Skull. Mm. Long story short, pertains to be a skull that was found in an archaeological dig 
flawless and sculpted to a point way beyond anything that would have been possible at that time. And it's since been further put on it that it's uh, from space or the aliens had something to do with it or there's advanced technology that we don't know about that was utilised back in the olden days. And Kate basically debunks it within the episode. We found that out. But you also said in your debunking that this skull still travels the world. This skull still goes around all over the place. People do very lofty intellectual chats about it. Experts are brought in to speak about it and to say how it defies logic and the great mystery that it is. I mean, I presume everyone's paid. But it was that aspect of it that I find both fascinating and frightening. Mm. And I guess it's at the root of all conspiracy theories. It's at the root of what you consider harmless beliefs, I suppose, where it flies in the face of not just logic, but actual provable deceit within the history of these things. Mm. So, you know, you're talking about an event there that has been utterly debunked, yet they carry on. Yeah, that's so much of the world of esotericism the key figures experiments methodologies at one point or another someone has been caught out or someone has deliberately deceived others and that's tarred a field but it doesn't tar the field because people still believe it even when it's been categorically debunked it's still interesting which brings us beautifully onto the fox sisters Can still do your jingle. Can I? Yeah. Welcome to Celebrity Seance Corner. Because what differs this week is that it is the conductor of the seance or conductors mm. of the seance that were the celebrities, and indeed they were hugely. It's far too big a story, I think, to tell in one go. So, mm. as someone who knows the story pretty well in yourself, and someone who knows a bit about them in myself. Mm-hmm. We can rattle through it, but I would like to start at the end, if that's okay. Okay. Well, near the end, I suppose. The Fox Sisters, who we're going to talk about. Now, I like the Fox Sisters because there is a portrait of the Fox Sisters in Memento Mori, which is the merchandise (laughs) shop for the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. Yeah. Okay, they have a portrait of them on the wall. It's a beautifully framed thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a big fan of the Haunted Mansion. Yes, I do like ghosts. I just don't believe in them. (laughs) So I have a kind of a soft affinity for them purely from that. And I think there's an inherent recognition of them within that. So the Haunted Mansion is essentially the ghost train at Disney. Mm -hmm. But within that, there is lots of culturally significant influences and nods. And I guess having a portrait of the Fox sisters in their gift shop is a pretty big one, really. Yeah. Because I think most people in modern day who go through that shop won't know who they are. No, they might just think it's a general spooky picture. Yeah. But the people who do know, Mm. it will be a really lovely Easter egg for them. So that's why I have a soft affinity. However, the Fox sisters, big celebrity psychics of their day, considered in modern spiritualism to be the start of it. Right? Am I right? Well... Kind of. They didn't start spiritualism. They didn't invent mediumship, you know, okay. which is it's kind of a, a common misconception, really. But were they, were they the first celebrity mediums? They, they were arguably. They were some of the first. Yeah. And they're certainly the most recognisable. They were kind of like the first Osmonds of the ghost world. Right, OK. And there were many more families afterwards, especially many more groups of girls who became famous for contacting the dead. But okay. the Fox sisters were, were really some of the first celebrity psychics, really, celebrity mediums. Well, starting at the end, with reference to what we've already been discussing, okay. the Fox sisters themselves debunked themselves. It wasn't somebody coming in from the side going, hang on a minute, you girls. Yeah. I have rumbled you. <laughs> they live on stage, yes. one of them, I forget which one. It was Kate and Maggie. Went on and told yeah. their sold-out audience... That it was all nonsense. Yeah. And how they'd done it. Yeah. Okay, so that's a spoiler alert for the end. The reason I refer to that in relation to what we've been discussing is, is there are people that argue to this day that even though they themselves said it, but, it was still real. Yeah. And they give some pithy dismissal of that <laughs> as being, oh, they were drunk. But. <laughs> or whatever. Even the okay? end is not that tidy. Okay, well, absolutely fine. Well, we, we'll go through it because it's a genuinely interesting story. But the thing is, that yeah. I was 
I mentioned to you earlier on that I do want to bring up at this juncture, mm-hmm. and I, I'll re-emphasize again. I'm I, I want to be careful with how I say this, mm-hmm. and I want to over-explain how I'm approaching this myself. Okay. In that I'm not approaching this in either a judgmental way, in a dismissive way, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. That's not what my agenda is here. I am asking this to understand. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you, because I think you're actually well positioned to answer this question, and it would all be opinion anyway. Is it relevant that they were young girls, some teenagers? Is that relevant? I think enormously relevant. Is it relevant that the Enfield girls, the two girls Mm -hmm. that claimed there was a poltergeist in the house in Enfield, North London, Mm -hmm. is their age relevant and where they were at in their development? Yeah, young female mediums are, are a through line throughout spiritualism yeah. and into contemporary mediumship and, and you know, psychic work today. But as a middle-aged bloke, do you see why I'm hesitant to bring that up? Oh, of course, yeah. You know, it's not something that... I, I'm really not saying this in a sneery way, no, in any no, way, no. shape or well, form. Well, you know that it's the positioning of, of very young female mediums and very old female mediums within the the spiritualist narrative of the 19th century is something that really interests me. Yeah. And kind of how both, sort of like both ends of the spectrum, really, were kind of lauded and condemned in in equal measure for their, you know, their sexual potential and their purity and their piety and their sexlessness, respectively. So I think that there is a lot to unpack there because the seance room, in many instances, was incredibly gendered and also incredibly sexual in in some instances but we'll save that for a later podcast well i guess that you know i guess there's a reason that there's a hugely marketable and profitable aspect of the music industry that is aimed directly at teenage girls Mm. and 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 bears fruit on pretty much every occasion Mm. you know the fan bases who plow money into boy bands and what have you and following boy bands and the extremities of their emotion with it, there must be something in that. Because that doesn't happen the other way around, by the way. That doesn't happen with boys, with girl bands. In fact, girl bands are only second only to boy bands in how much they spark the interest and fervour of, broadly speaking, teenage girls. Yeah, although I think, quite interestingly, the Fox sisters' main audience wasn't people their own age. In a lot of the cases of child mediums and young female mediums, yeah, the people that are celebrating them most vocally are generally older men who comment. But I guess the, well, there's perhaps no link there in terms of, again, I'm speaking in very broad strokes here, but I guess girls of that age would be more interested in boy bands or what the equivalent at the time was <laughs> than they would be in speaking about existential and spiritual lofty ideas Mm -hmm. really i think that's that's what validated a lot of young female mediums because people would be saying why what on earth would a 14 year old want to do with you know three hour existential lectures that would validate you know alongside her youth and you know kind of spiritual validity whereas she should be at home sewing and looking at fish or whatever it is young girls do yeah i think they do look at fish (laughs) So how do you want to start this then? Do you, do you want to just tell us about the Fox Sisters? Because really, I don't really have much by way of contention to it. Mm-hmm. So again, it's not an argument, this. This is more yes. quite yeah. an intriguing phenomenon that, that happened okay. at a time when it wasn't commonplace, really, in mainstream society. I, I, I am mostly intrigued by the end of the story that I've already spoiled, which mm-hmm. we won't even get to today. Okay, well, the Fox Sisters story really begins in 1848. So we're in a place called Hydesville, which was in Rochester in New York. We always say the Fox sisters because there's there's three. There's Kate, Maggie and Leah. Now, at the time of these spooky goings on, Leah wasn't living at home. She, she'd moved into a different house with her husband. But Kate and Maggie, who were 11 and 14 respectively, which I think was also the same ages as the girls in the Enfield case, yeah. An interesting little parallel. They were living at home and they were from a, a Methodist family. So, you know, not fire and brimstone preachers. So their house had been rumoured to be haunted for years and neighbours had been sure that there'd been this violent murder before and that the, the spirit lived on 
in the house. And this had been going on for a long time, but it wasn't until, like I said, 1848, that the youngest sisters, Kate and Maggie, finally professed these claims. In the March of that year, the family were saying that they'd all been kept awake, they'd been troubled by these really loud noises that sometimes were just so earth-shatteringly loud, they sounded like someone was dragging furniture about. So there was validation from the extended family within yes. it? Yes. It wasn't just the two girls? Yeah, okay. These noises were happening. You couldn't deny them. There were bangings, knocks, rumbles. It, it sounded like the house was caving in. All at the same time as when the plumbing went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, the girls were 11 and 14. They couldn't be yeah. chucking furniture about. They couldn't be making knocks that seemed to appear from all sides of the house. Well, I mean, hang on, wait. We'll I'm get to this. We will. Come on, they come were on. only 11 and 14. <laughs> like, if they had rickets, then yeah, fine. But <laughs> I was playing near professional rugby at 14. <laughs> I was eating multi-packs of Jaffa cakes at 14. We lived very different lives. But you were quite the shot putter in your teens, eh? Leave me alone. <laughs> so, the noises... I have some pictures of you at school. I hate you so much. The noises were constant. Right, the, the pump... <laughs> horrible! <laughs> be nice to me. Like proper muscles. <laughs> proper big muscles. Look, look. I developed later in life, you know. I didn't grow into my teeth until I was in my 20s. <laughs> so... On March the 31st, Kate Fox, the 11-year-old, challenged the maker of the noises, that they believed it was a spirit, to respond to them. So they said it was a spirit. Can you respond to the clicks of our fingers? And it did. So they started asking questions like, can you knock out all the ages of the Fox siblings? And they did, with accuracy. And soon they developed this kind of code between the living and the dead, and with this new system, raps could mean yes or no, or they could be like letters of the alphabet. So it was like a rudimentary sort of Ouija board type thing going on. So how is this known? Like, who was this in front of? Was this a, was this performative, or was this well, just them on their own in their bedroom? It supposedly? started in front of the family, and then they eventually gave their first public lecture the year later in eighteen forty nine. But before that, they decided that they'd call the spirit. Mr. Splitfoot, which was an old name for the devil. Mm. Then they later believed that the maker of the noises was actually the murdered spirit of a peddler called Charles B. Rosner. And so this community, who believed that the house had been haunted by a murdered man, then kind of ran with this idea. And mm. certain people were hounded out of this little hamlet because it was believed that, you know, it was kind of a, a spirit trying to communicate back from the grave and identify who murdered them but Mr Splitfoot whoever he might have been was very very chatty indeed and even though they grew up in this Methodist household they went to stay with the neighbours who were Quakers this spirit communication just lit up their little community and then Rochester and then after they started doing public demonstrations it just lit up America. So it was essentially something that went viral. It did. To use modern day parlance. Yeah. It ignited the interest and belief of the nation? Yeah, everyone knew of the Rochester wrappings. And then what happened next? Should we do that next week? We can do that next week. Because it really blows up, doesn't it? Oh, big time. The, the girls don't know what they've created. Well, there we go. That's quite nice because we've now got... Now we're a bit like Serial or something like that, one of them podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> now we've got an ongoing story and now I feel slightly remiss that I've given part of the end away. But I've, as you alluded to, that isn't the end of the, the story. The end isn't the end. Not at all. Well, that was Loopholes episode 11, the first cliffhanger in Loopholes history. You can either leave comments on either of our Patreon pages, which are patreon.com forward slash Ian Boltworth and patreon.com forward slash burials and beyond. That's me. And you can like us and contact us on Facebook under Loopholes Podcast, on Instagram at Loopholes Pod, Twitter at Loopholes Pod, and you can send us an email at loopholespodcast at gmail.com so do get on there give us a like and make us feel better about ourselves well you've already heard haven't you that we're really rather inclined towards correspondence we're enjoying it and we're enjoying chatting with you albeit semi-vicariously it's yeah. not a direct chat i'm not quite ready to give out my phone number yet and now i'll go off and edit this podcast which 
really is a last minute thing. We are already at Tuesday and this comes out on Wednesday. And by my reckoning, I haven't got enough hours to edit this to the length it's going to be. Oh dear. This episode is going to be longer than the amount of time I've got to edit it in. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. Oh, well, good luck. Thank you very much indeed. I have been Ian Bolsworth. And I've been Dr Kate Cheryl. And we shall see you again <laughs> next week. Bye-bye. Loopholes is an Infinite Hermit production in association with Burials and Beyond with Kate Cheryl and Ian Boltworth. Music by Thomas Funderay, produced by Ian Boltworth. Mm-hmm.